We need a solid foundation on which to build our lives. So important. So important for our own lives. It's so important for our church. It's so important for our children and our children's children that we provide and plan and live in such a way that we promote this one eternal solid foundation, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. This will be our theme verse throughout the week of Vacation Bible School. And this morning, we want to focus on it textually within its context and No doubt you will be bringing it out. We have teachers in here today. And what we want to do, we need to get a big vision of God's glory. We need to get a big vision of God's glory. And we need to catch the vision of what we are called to do as his disciples, as his followers. And and as we catch a vision, uh, we want to stay strong and we want to press on in faithfulness to God and to the ministry of spreading the gospel to the nations. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we stand in great need, in need of your presence. God, we know as we studied in Sunday school this morning that you are here because you are omnipresent. And yet we desire, O God, to feel and experience your presence in a powerful way here this morning. We pray that you would speak through your word, by your spirit. That we would be radically transformed and changed into the very image of Christ. Lord, that we would be able to overcome sin in our lives. Overcome fear, overcome discouragement and doubt. Lord, in in faith, press on in faithfulness to you. And the mission to which you've called us. Oh God, forgive us for our failures. And we pray that you would equip us and change us today. That we can be more obedient as we leave this place this morning. Than we ever have been in our lives. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about spiritual fruit for a faithful gospel ministry. This is one of those texts, this is one of those verses that really gets me excited. I like preaching uh, texts like this. They're not all the same. (laughs) Sometimes you come to verses and passages of Scripture that just don't quite have that glorious appeal as others do. But nevertheless, the whole counsel of God is important for us as believers It's important for us as a body of believers, a local church. But this is one of those good ones. This is one of those that can really get you fired up. This is one of my favorite verses 
um, that we've done in VBS ever. And so that lets you know how hard it's going to be for me to shut up today. Well, there's a lot in this that I think is very relevant for our personal lives and for our life together as a church. The Apostle Paul here, as we set the stage and put this verse in its context, the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's writing to one of his sons in the faith. He's writing to a man that he has sent as an apostolic delegate, if you will, to the church at Ephesus. And there he's going to set things in order. He's going to correct some things that need to be corrected. He's going to set in order some things that need to be set in order. And he's going to be teaching and preaching and doing the work of an evangelist. And Timothy is a little timid. Timothy is a little bit apprehensive, as we often are, to fulfill the God-given roles that he has given us. God has called us to do things. God has commissioned us as individual Christians. He's commissioned us as a body of believers to go into all the world and make disciples. But the thing that this text tells us about this morning and the thing that's so exciting to me is that this text teaches us that we don't have to try to do it alone. As we go through the week and we try to work with these kids... As we pray for them, as we pray for the workers, as we pray for the teachers, as we pray for the families that will be affected through the ministry of this week. We can rejoice this morning and we can be encouraged today that we don't do this alone. That we have the indwelling power of God. That the Spirit of God is indwelling every true, blood-bought, born-again believer. And by that reality, the reality of Christ dwelling within us, we have the ability to overcome sin in our lives, and we have the ability to live for the glory of God, and we have the ability to live a faithful gospel ministry. There's two ways that I want you to listen to this message today. First of all, I want you to listen to it for your personal life. Because every one of you who is a believer today, every one of you who is a child of God, and you are, as I mentioned, a blood-bought, born-again Christian this morning, every one of you have a gospel ministry. Every one of you. Your lives are to be lived to the glory of God. And God is glorified. As we advance the gospel to the nations one person at a time. And it takes all of us individually working out our own personal ministry. You can't live my life. I can't live your life. And each one of our lives individually as Christians counts. Very important. The Great Commission is not for the person sitting beside of you. And not you. It's for you. And me. The second way that I want us to listen to this message is for our ministry as a local church. Because as we know through scripture that we are not called to live a lone ranger style of Christianity. But when God saves us, he saves us into a local body, into a family of believers. And he plants us there and he places us there in the body as he sees fit. And we need each other. 
And we are called to work corporately and collectively together and join the church and become a member and lock arms with each other. And so we can have a faithful gospel ministry here in Princeton, West Virginia. Let me ask you something. Do you want that? I mean, what do you come here for? To criticize and look around and see what you can talk about? Or do you come into this place so you can be equipped so that you can grow together as a family to worship God and to serve Him in Princeton? Do you think God needs a witness in Princeton? Certainly He does. And I don't know about you, but I want us to be that faithful gospel ministry. Let me just give you just a little weight to this message. Faithful gospel churches are under attack in our country. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And we're going to be tempted at every twist and turn like riding on a roller coaster. We're going to be tempted to compromise. We're going to be tempted to say, stop this ride, I want off. I don't want to suffer here. I don't want to be ridiculed here. It's hard to remain faithful here. I'm getting tired in this. This is difficult. And we're going to be tempted and tested all of our lives. Individually and collectively as a church. And so I want us to think this morning about the almighty God in heaven. Can you see him? This almighty, powerful, infinite, omniscient, all-knowing omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent God stepped out of glory one day in the person of Jesus Christ and clothed himself in flesh and came to this earth and he came for one purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And as he came to seek and to save the lost, the one thing that he could do and only he can do was to go to the cross of Calvary and lay down his life so that others can live. Only Jesus could do this. Only the Son of God could come. God the Son could clothe himself in human form and humble himself and go to the cross and pay for the sin debt of the world so that we could now go forward with the good news, the gospel message, and compel people. He said, go into the highways, go into the hedges, and compel them to come in. And he went to the cross and he died. And he gave us a commission. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the age. So we have a commission And we have a promise. Jesus said, I'll be with you. Is that good news? He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm glad of that. Because if it was left up to me and if it was left up to you today, this job would not be done. But it's not just left up to us. He said, I will be with you. All power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. And so, I want us to think this morning about the spiritual fruit for a faithful gospel 
ministry. Number one, the indwelling Holy Spirit produces spiritual power. So, by virtue of the indwelling Spirit, there is a product, there is a fruit. The fruit, the evidence of the reality of Christ dwelling in an individual, is that that individual then has indwelling spiritual power. Paul says to Timothy in our verse, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Of power. There is a power that the Christian has. And one of the things that we need to take notice of is this reality. You'll notice very often that I do not talk in all-inclusive terminology. Everybody does not have this power. If you're not born again, then you don't have it. Everybody does not have this indwelling power. And that's the reason a lot of people will start to run the race. They'll start to fight the fight of faith and they don't, they don't make it. Because they're trying to do it in the energy of their own flesh. And not through the power of the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit in their lives. But those who are born again, those who have received the Spirit of God and have been indwelt by the Spirit of God have spiritual power. And so when we think, when we face things that are powerful in life, I think about that roller coaster. Those things are powerful. The force of being on one, kind of scary. I think about a fast-moving airplane, just the raw power to lift that huge metal thing off the ground and propel it through the air at hundreds of miles an hour. That's a lot of power. I think about these tornadoes and hurricanes that come through the lands. Devastating. Buildings like this that seem so solid come down just like that. The power of something like that. Now what happens when you face something that is that powerful, more powerful than you are? We tend to what? (laughs) We tend to fear. And our verse tells us the assurance for us this morning is that we don't have to have fear that causes us to run and retreat because we have been given spiritual power to persevere in the face of things that are more powerful than we are. Satan is more powerful than we are. Demons are more powerful than we are. The world is more in number than we are. We have a lot of things going against us today as the children of God, but we have something that's greater than that which is in the world, namely the indwelling power of the very presence of the Almighty God. And we need spiritual power to overcome fear, for example. Psalm Psalm 27 and verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Answer, no one. If God be for us, who can be against us? We need spiritual power to overcome fear. I mean, it took a lot of courage for these girls to get up here and do this, especially in front of y'all. (laughs) You're not the most conducive crowd for activity on the stage. 
it becomes difficult. And I commend them because that's not easy to do. We need spiritual power to overcome fear. We need spiritual power for evangelism. One of the greatest things that will disappoint you in life is if you go out today and you try to share the gospel and with the first 10 people you meet, nobody's interested. And if you get discouraged at that point, this is good news for you because what you need to understand is that people are not saved just because you share the gospel with them. People are saved by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Without the drawing, convicting, wooing power of the Spirit of God, the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to the world. But it's only when God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive that we become sensitive to what God's saying in the gospel. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus meant in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You all know the verse. Jesus said, and you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, of the world. Why does he give us this power? So that we can be his witnesses to the world. Listen, if you don't have that vision for your life, you don't have a big enough vision. You say, well, I'm not, that's not me Shake your head like this. Yes, it is. You have the vision to take the gospel to the nations. Did you know that? What if it was dependent upon you alone? Folks, that's what's wrong with the church. We think somebody else is going to do it. When it's our job. Now, what role do you play? Well, you may not take the gospel over across the sea, but you might take it across the street. You might take it across the cubicle. You may take it across the workshop. You may take it across the counter. You may take it in the hospital. You may take it in your neighborhood, but you're called to take it to the nations. Why do you think we give to the cooperative program? Why do you think we employ thousands of missionaries? Why do you think we call people from our congregations to get up and leave America and leave the comforts of home and go into the nations? Because you have that call. You have that commission. And so you're either here praying and giving and praying and giving so that it happens and being a part of the discipleship place, a local discipleship factory that produces missionaries. And if you're not, then you're sitting on the sidelines when you're supposed to be in the game. You think we need spiritual power? (laughs) For evangelism, for worship. The Bible says, Jesus says in John 4, 21, Jesus said that God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we need spiritual power in order to worship. Hey, listen, what you did with your lips just now, that was not worship. Unless from the inner man of the heart, the inner woman of the heart, you had affection for God and an awestruck wonder at the glory and majesty of God and a sense of the weight of the calling of God in your life that gives rise to you saying, ah, praise be unto God. Now, if that happened inside by the indwelling spirit as you sang On Christ the solid rock I stand. Then you worshipped. 
with your lips. But if you didn't, that wasn't worship. It was just singing words. We need spiritual power for worship. We need spiritual power to understand the Word of God and to apply the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2. Because those things, Paul says to the Corinthian church, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Okay? So you can't understand the Word of God, and you can't rightly apply the Word of God to your life. Unless the Holy Spirit enables you to do it. We need spiritual power for prayer. Sometimes our prayer lives will seem so shallow. So self-centered. Unless by the power of God, we can be led along to pray rightly. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That we don't know how to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit, He gives us utterance. Even when we don't have words to say. We need spiritual power for strength in the faith. And to finish our race and to fight a good fight. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 11 is a prayer. But verse 11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. May be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Let me ask you a question. Where did Samson get the power and the strength to break every attempt to bind him? Where did Moses get the power to fast for 40 days? Where did Elijah get the power to call down fire from heaven? Where did the apostles get the power to preach the gospel and to suffer joyfully and give their lives for the cause of Christ and for the advancement of the gospel? Where did they get it? Did they reach down into themselves and pull out the ability to live this way? No. They had spiritual power. Because the Bible tells us, the prophet Zechariah says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, we need power, spiritual power, to live the Christian life. And the cool thing about the the spiritual power of God is that no matter how much of it goes out, it can never run dry. He just, he never gets tired. He never gets weary. So when you're tired and weary, that's fine. Paul says, for when I'm weak, then am I strong. Because the power of God is made evident in my life. When I'm at my weakest point. John writes in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you're from God. You've overcome them. That is the world. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. That's number one. Number two. The indwelling Holy Spirit produces spiritual love. Not only do you need spiritual power, but you need spiritual love. That's what he says back in our text. Paul says to Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And certainly we need spiritual love. The love of God that takes away fear from our hearts. John writes in 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
casts it out. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. So the supernatural love of God implanted in a believer helps take away the fear that holds us back from moving toward other people. You talk about needing spiritual power for evangelism. You also need spiritual love for evangelism. Because we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. Why don't you evangelize? Why don't you share the gospel more? I'll answer it for you. Because you don't want to. And we need something that's not in ourselves. We need something from God that enables us to do it. It gives us a desire to do it. The spiritual love of God shed abroad in our hearts will compel us to reach out to those who need to hear the gospel. And so we need to pray that God will give us that spirit of love. In Romans 5, 5, the Bible says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the way that we have the love of God is through the Holy Ghost, through the Holy Spirit being with us. Otherwise, we don't have the kind of love that we need to have. And without it, we will not do what God has called us to do. Jonathan Edwards writes, talking about this indwelling love. And he says that, basically in essence, that the love of God in a Christian's heart that is expressed in their lives is the telltale sign that you are truly born of God. That critical, harsh, hateful, grumbly spirit is not of God. It's of the flesh and it's of the devil. But the love of God shed abroad in your heart is evidence that you are a child of God. Listen to what he says. All the fruits of the Spirit which we are to lay weight upon as evidential of grace are summed up in love or Christian love. Because this is the sum of all grace. And the only way, therefore, in which any can know their good estate, in other words, whether you're in a right relationship with God or not, is by discerning the exercise of this divine love in their hearts. For without charity, let men have what gifts you please. They are nothing. Sounds just like Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. You can give your body to be burned, but if that divine love is not working effectually in your heart, then you're nothing. You're just like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You're just noise. But it's by the divine presence of God. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. Love. Read the book of 1 John, all throughout it. (laughs) Brethren, if you love one another, you are of God. But if the love of God does not dwell in you, you are none of His. And so we need Spiritual love. Why do we need spiritual love? Let me give you a couple reasons. 
We need spiritual love to forgive people. Because we are so prone to hold grudges. We're so prone to get mad and get our feelings hurt. And we hold on to that instead of... And what happens to you when you do that? What happens to you is you become a bitter person that nobody likes to be around. And you don't hurt the person that you're holding the grudge against. You're only hurting yourself. And you're actually hurting other people because of your demeanor and your spirit and your attitude. And spiritual love will help us to forgive people that it's hard to forgive. Spiritual love will help us to love when it's hard to love. Because sometimes you're going to reach out to people in acts of kindness and love, and they're not going to want you to do it. They may reject your friendship. They may reject your love. And you need something spiritual and powerful to enable you to continue to love them. You need spiritual love to serve people who don't want your service. You need spiritual love to compel you to serve people who need you. They need you to be Jesus to them. They need you to share the gospel with them. And you're going to have to have something more than just your humanness to compel you to do that and to break away from your self-centered patterns of behavior and attitudes and say, I'm going to serve these people in this community. I'm going to serve these people that I love in this local church. And you need... Spiritual power to give of yourselves and of your resources to advance the cause of Christ and the mission of God in the world. You need spiritual love in order to go places that you would not normally go and to go at times that you would not normally go. The love of God will compel you to go places you wouldn't normally go. And it will compel you to go at times that you wouldn't normally go. I'm tired. I don't want to go do this today. And the love of God will compel you to go. And love for God will compel you to go. Somebody has to go. The love of God helps us to do that through the indwelling spirit. And the love of God will help us to suffer. In order to do all of these things. For the glory of God and for the cause of Christ in the world. The love of God will move you toward people that you would not normally go toward. They're not like you. They do not look like you. They do not act like you. They do not dress like you. But they need the same God you have. And they need the same gospel that you have heard. And you didn't receive it by anything good that you have done. You didn't receive it because you deserved it. You received it because God graciously and mercifully gave it to you through someone else who was willing to go and forgive and love and serve and do and suffer to get it to you. And we need to be willing to do it for others as well. Thirdly, the indwelling Holy Spirit produces a sound mind. Paul says... God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A spiritual mind. Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians 2 and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and came in the likeness of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And Paul says, let this mind be in you. This spiritual mind of the indwelling person of Christ. This is a tranquil, clear, focused mind. You see, it's hard to make good decisions when you're fearful and panicking. When you're fretting with worry and anxiety, it's hard to make good decisions, is it not? It's so difficult to have that clear wisdom in the time when you're struggling so hard just to hold it together. And this is good news because God says this is spiritual power. This is a spiritual reality that because God is there, because He said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you, we can have a sound, spiritual, calm, clear mind to make good choices, wise choices, healthy choices for our lives, for our families, for our church, for our community. And even though we know that we're facing difficulties and trials and circumstances that seem insurmountable, we know we have a big God And that he's always seated on his throne. And he gives us spiritual wisdom to make the right decisions when we face difficult times. Paul writes about Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him that is God, you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has become to us Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our wisdom. So that by the indwelling presence of Christ, we have a wisdom outside of ourselves, beyond ourselves. I often pray and I say, God, I want you to use me well beyond my capabilities. I want you to give me wisdom in preaching and pastoring and fathering and husbanding in well beyond What I'm capable in and of myself. Because I know I am so limited in my abilities. Martin Luther used to pray a prayer. He'd say, God, as I go to preach, I don't have the power to make it turn out well. Won't you make it turn out well? That's the kind of power. That's the kind of wisdom that the presence of God will give us. Jesus said this, and I leave you with this. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, why did he tell us that? Because of what he said to start with. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. We have a spiritual power. We have spiritual love. And we have a spiritual mind. And you say, well, what if I don't really have that today? How can I get it? I recognize my need today. It's very simple. It's very profound and glorious, but it's still very simple. You must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave. And you must trust in God and what He has done through Jesus Christ on that cross. And if you do, and when you do, you will have spiritual power, spiritual love, and spiritual sound mind. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of our time corporately today, we just ask you for help. Lord, I don't know the hearts and the conditions and the circumstances of everyone in this room, but you do. And you know today if someone out there is lost and undone and in desperate need of faith, in desperate need to repent and turn away from their sins and to trust in you and your work of redemption through Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there is one among us, you would give them faith and repentance right now, the strength and the courage to stand up and say, for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And I pray that all of us who are born again, blood-bought believers, you would fill us with your spirit. You would clothe us in your armor. And you, O oh God, would give us that spiritual enabling to live out a faithful gospel ministry in our individual lives and in our life together as a church. To have the love, your love, shed abroad in our hearts that we can go and love and forgive and serve and suffer joyfully for your glory. And Lord, so that we could have a sound mind, a wise mind, a spiritual mind. Increase us in these things, we pray. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask, amen. Amen.